0: Daily City runs along San Francisco's southern border. It's a largely residential place with rows of identical houses stamped across the hills. Every time I see those homes, I think of that Malvina Reynolds song, Little Boxes.
1: Little boxes on the hillside, little boxes made of ticky tacky, little boxes on the hillside, little boxes all the same.
0: A lot of people think of this song as they drive through Daily City. To outsiders, the city is known for the song—for Ceremony Mall, car dealerships, and fog. But there's so much more to Daly City than that. San Bruno Mountain State Park, Asian grocery stores like Ranch 99 Market, lots of fantastic Filipino restaurants, and even paragliding. This week, our question comes from Nick, who discovered a surprising fact. Daily City is one of the most densely populated cities in the country. He wanted to know why. We're starting with the city's density, then moving towards its diversity. I'm Katrina Schwartz, and you're listening to Bay Curious. Producer Amanda Stupai has been looking into Nick's question. Amanda, first off, what is
2: density? What are we even talking about? Well, population density basically refers to how crowded a place is. So how many people live in a square mile? And it turns out, Daly City is actually pretty dense. About 100,000 people are squeezed into an area that's less than eight square miles.
0: When I think of dense places, I think of big cities like New York or San Francisco. I don't usually think about suburbs like Daly City. So what makes Daly City so dense? It comes down
2: to four main factors. First, a relatively large portion of the land in Daly City is residential. Second, households in Daly City are slightly larger than other places, so more people in each house. Third, the average lot size in Daly City, the amount of land a house sits on, is really small that makes it easier to pack a lot of houses in. And maybe the most interesting factor, the design of the houses themselves. Those first points sound pretty
0: straightforward. More houses and more people in a small space. But tell me more about the design
2: of the houses. What makes them special? A lot of the houses were the vision of a developer named Henry Dolger. He wanted his houses to be affordable for first-time home buyers and found innovative ways to make that happen.
3: Dolger was an expert at building high-density housing.
2: This is Robert Keel, He wrote a book called Little Boxes about Dolger and his role in developing Daly City. Dolger's vision started with a design that was very strategic.
3: He also had the floor plans designed in such a way that they were easy to build. He actually centralized the heating systems and the plumbing systems so that you'll notice, for example, that the kitchen is almost always uh, on the opposite side of a wall from a bathroom. And if there are two bathrooms, they're often side-by-side to each other so that they share a wall.
2: These tricks saved Dolger money and time. He was one of the first on the West Coast to use sheetrock instead of plaster for walls. And he rarely built ceilings higher than eight feet because sheetrock came in eight-foot-long pieces. He popularized a design with all the living spaces and bedrooms upstairs, leaving the ground level open for storage or whatever owners wanted to do with it. Over time, people were finding that they could add habitable space and they could do it for a very low cost. Tatum Mothershead works in the planning department for Daly City. She says a lot of people ended up using the ground floor for more bedrooms or secondary units that they rent out. You can drive by a modest-looking house in Daly City, and it probably doesn't look any different than a home you might see somewhere else that's three bedrooms, two baths, but you could easily have six bedrooms. Dolger's floor plans helped make Daly City a pioneer in secondary units. The city was way ahead of the game, formally allowing them back in the early 1980s. The rest of California has lagged behind. The state only recently mandated that city governments make it easier to build additional units. And as you may have picked up, these were not one-off houses. Dolger mass-produced them, controlling every aspect of production, which earned him the nickname the Henry Ford of housing.
3: He became really good at that, and he was really efficient at it.
2: Robert Keel says Dolger even operated a lumber mill next to where he was building right in the middle of what's now John Daly Boulevard. Mill workers cut the wood and sent it to the job site as a set of labeled parts. Construction crews could then quickly and easily piece them together. But these weren't shoddy houses. He built with redwood. Dolger's vision was quality homes at an affordable price. His innovations in design and production made it possible to spend more money on materials and to put his stylistic stamp on Westlake, the Daly City subdivision that would become his masterpiece. He bought the land cheap and planned everything from the angle of the streets to where the parks would be, to the types of trees planted.
3: It's really unusual for a residential developer to build a complete community with a fire station, a shopping center, a bank, a library.
2: That was cutting-edge stuff back then. Most developers didn't think seriously about the services people would need after they moved into a neighborhood. Dolger's foresight earned Daily City a spot on the Ladies' Home Journal list of top 10 suburbs in America in 1975. And it was nice. Houses were separated by small lawns and driveways. Buffer streets kept busy road noise away from the houses. Keel says that Dolger worked with a team of architects and designers to give Westlake a unique aesthetic. Mid-century slanted roofs, corner windows, desert-inspired landscaping. Not everyone was a fan. Many architects derided the houses. But buyers
3: loved them. You know, I talked to a lot of people when I did the Westlake book who were original residents of those houses. And almost every person I ever talked to was like, oh, Henry Dolger is my hero. He made it possible for me and my family to own our first house.
2: But the affordable housing, the schools, the parks, it was only for white people.
0: Wait, these days, Daly City is a super diverse place. And
2: you're saying one of its biggest neighborhoods, Westlake, was segregated? Yes, it was due to a policy similar to redlining. But this time, the government was loaning money to the developers, not to the individual home buyers.
1: The only way someone like Dolger could have gotten the capital to build that subdivision uh, was by going to the federal government and getting a guarantee loan. No bank would be crazy enough to give somebody uh, a loan to build over 10,000 homes uh, for which he had no buyers. This is
2: Richard Rothstein on KQED's forum, talking about his book, The Color of Law.
1: And the federal government required Dolger not only to refuse to sell homes to African-Americans, but to put a clause in every deed that prohibited the owner from reselling to African-Americans or renting to African-Americans.
2: Rothstein emphasizes African-Americans in his book because in many parts of the country, racial covenants and deeds name them specifically. But in Daly City and across the Bay Area, It wasn't just African Americans who were excluded. It was anyone who couldn't pass as white. That included Latinos, Asians, and Filipinos. But how could the government justify discriminating against so many people this way? Well, the government would only guarantee development loans if a project was deemed a safe investment. Assessors looked at stuff like the quality of the building materials, if utilities were available, and the racial makeup of the neighborhood. If an area had Black, Indigenous, or other people of color living there, it was considered risky. If the area was integrated, or it'd even be open to integration, that was considered risky. So to get a government-backed loan, which was really the only way to build on a large scale, developers had to agree to only sell to white people. And all the housing developers went along with this? There are some examples of builders trying to get around this requirement. Rothstein talks about an effort led by the writer Wallace Stegner, who wanted to build integrated housing near Stanford, and about a union at a Bay Area Ford factory that tried to do it. But local or federal governments almost always found a way to squash projects that included housing for Black people, and by extension, other communities of color.
1: The white families who bought those homes uh, with federal subsidy in the mid-20th century gained over the next, next couple of generations wealth of $200,000, $400,000 in equity appreciation in their homes. They used it to send their children to college. They used it to take care of emergencies. And they used it to bequeath it to their children who would have down payments for their own homes. Uh, African Americans were explicitly denied those opportunities by federal government, not by banks, but by federal government.
2: In the Bay Area... Asians and Latinos often experienced the same discrimination. They also missed out on opportunities to build wealth through home ownership. Wealth that acts like a parachute during difficult economic times.
0: Well, then, how did it become the Daily City it is today? A diverse place with an especially strong Filipino community. That's for next week. Yeah, I mean, you know, the running joke of Daily City is that the reason why it's so foggy is because everyone turned, uh, opens up their rice cookers at the same time, right? I'm looking forward to it. That was producer Amanda Stupai. Thanks so much, Amanda. Thank you.